Whenever we think of what it must like to be a king, so often our minds go to a lot of majesty and a lot of splendor. Perhaps we think of the palace that they live in, that it must be filled with costly stones and look truly splendid even from a distance. Or maybe we even think about their garments, how they must look luxurious and how they must be quite expensive. Or maybe we even think about the lands that they rule, how they rule with an iron fist, and perhaps they have all power and authority given to them, and even those that are in their midst or under their rule admire that or even appreciate that in some way. And indeed, that's often what our imagination thinks of, and it doesn't matter what culture, what time, or what place, that often we think of these kings and we think of those that have gone before us, or even those of our imagination in the same way. And perhaps we even hear about Jesus as king today, and we think of him in a particular way as well. It might seem like we might expect some of these aspects to be true, but it might even seem to challenge our expectation of what a king might be. But nonetheless, how do we reconcile that, and how do we appreciate that, especially as we celebrate this Palm Sunday? Because whenever we start this day off, we recognize that this is one of two times that we celebrate Jesus Christ as king. The first time that we celebrate it is right before the season of Advent begins. We celebrate Jesus Christ under the king of the universe in that particular title. And this is a moment when we celebrate that majesty, that splendor, and that grandeur that we might expect. And so we celebrate that the first time then. But then we celebrate Jesus Christ as king today. But king in a particular way, because we recognize that Jesus Christ isn't just any ordinary king, but he comes to us as a king who suffers, a king with all humility, and a king who dies for his people. Truly a king that is unexpected. We start off this morning with the reading from the book of the prophet Isaiah. In this particular book, in this particular passage, we hear that Isaiah is speaking in a particular way, letting us know that he has been given a well-ordered tongue that he may speak words to the people, that he's going forward and speaking what they need to hear. And so this isn't just any ordinary speaking, that he's not just speaking when it's convenient, but he's aware that he's going to have to speak words of challenge and words of conviction at particular times. And so we know that he's going to give his back to those who beat him, his beard to those who pluck his beard, and his cheeks to those who slap him or beat him in a particular way. And so Isaiah is very aware of the cost of what it is to continue to go forward and to prophesy in a particular way. And yet there's more because we recognize that at the very end he knows that he's, God is his help. And so he's set his face as flint, that he knows that he will never be without God in some way, that he's never going to be without recourse in the Lord. But in a particular way, we recognize Isaiah, but we also see the ways that this is shadowing and foreshadowing Jesus Christ himself, because he is the one that goes forward and speaks the words that the people need to hear. But what's more, he continues and he goes and he suffers quite tremendously, that his back is beaten, that his beard is plucked, that he is spat upon, beaten and bruised for our offenses. And so the words of Isaiah, even though they might have a particular meaning in his way and in his time, they take on so much more meaning when we attach them to our Lord and to our God. So Isaiah, even though he may not have recognized exactly who Christ was just yet, he's prophesying exactly what the Lord is going to be doing and what extent he's going to show his love. That he's going to undergo every type of suffering for his people. He's a king who suffers. But then we go to St. Paul in his letter to the Philippians, and he reminds us of the fact that Jesus Christ comes in the form of God. Now, this doesn't mean that he just appears as God, but he truly is God. But it's, it's recognizing and getting us to remember his divinity, because it's important whenever he goes through the crucifixion. 
but he also takes on our human flesh. He takes on our human nature that he wants to sanctify the very being that we take on. And so he wants to take that upon himself so that he too can be afflicted in every way and even suffer the cross. So even in the midst of the fact that he is God, he also recognizes that he's going to take on humanity to save all of humanity. And even in the midst of this, he undergoes this tremendous amount of suffering, affliction, and he does this in all humility. But nonetheless, because of this, he's exalted, that every knee in heaven, on earth, and under the earth proclaims to the glory of God the Father, Jesus Christ is Lord. And in fact, because of his humility, he is exalted all the more because of the great work that he has come to do and the tremendous things that he has done. And then we also recognize that there are two Gospels this morning, that there are two different tellings of two particular moments in Passion Week. At the very beginning, we began Mass in a very unusual way because we recognize the fact that the Lord is processing into the city of Jerusalem for the last time. He's coming in, and the people recognize this fact that it's important and it's fundamental, it's foundational. And so they're going before him, they're laying their cloaks before him, and they're holding palm branches and shouting aloud, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! That this truly is a moment filled with grandeur and with splendor, although the people may not have recognized exactly what was going to happen just a mere few days later. And that's where the second gospel comes in, the passion narrative. Because in fact, this entire week, we know it is Holy Week, but even in times past, we've called it Passion Week because we prepare our hearts and our souls coming up to the passion, the death, and even the resurrection of our Lord. But we recognize the fact that we celebrate and we hear about the Lord's passion already, and we're starting to hear about the way that he is a king who suffers and even dies for his people, that even though he has suffered, he's led in humility, he's ultimately one that pays the full price for his people, that he dies for their sins and their affliction. Everything that holds them out of the kingdom of heaven, he wants to restore that to them and restore it a hundredfold. But as we consider all of these things, we have to consider how are our hearts supposed to change right here and right now? What are these Gospels and what are these readings challenging us to do right in the midst of this week, especially as we begin at the outset with Palm Sunday? We recognize that in the two Gospels, we're given two different groups of people, two different people and two different approaches to our Lord Jesus Christ. That there's a group of people who accept him and who celebrate who he is and the work that he is about to do. They give him great thanksgiving and they show a tremendous amount of gratitude. But there's also another group of people, a group of people that largely put Jesus to the side, that they want to sort of throw every insult and every sort of accusation against him because they kind of want to put him on the side and put him on the down and out, that they want to be rid of him because he is so inconvenient to them. That in fact, whenever we're reading through the Passion narrative, we're given those parts to read and to say aloud of that particular crowd, the people that want to do away with Jesus. And in a particular way, it likely strikes all of us as rather odd or even harsh, because we don't like to be there. And indeed, that's because the church wants to challenge us to be in that first group of people. To be that people that celebrate Jesus' entry into Jerusalem and are grateful and thankful to God for what he is about to do. That we see the price that he's about to pay, even as king. And yet we're so filled with abundance of overflowing gratitude that we recognize and we start to celebrate and ruminate in our hearts on the mystery of the passion of the Lord. And indeed, that's the challenge to be with the second group of people. 
But I dare say we can't necessarily be in a literal sense with this group of people, that we don't exist in their time, we don't exist in the same way, and we're not necessarily able to greet the Lord as he comes riding on a donkey in the midst of us as we hold palm branches and spread our cloaks before him. But we are able to do a few different things. Because if we recognize the book of the prophet Isaiah, it speaks about the way that the Lord suffers. And indeed, many of us also suffer in different ways and in varied ways, but we suffer nonetheless. And oftentimes, it's really hard to offer those things up to our Lord. But can we make palms out of them and hold them before the Lord anyway? Even in the context of this week, those little moments of suffering or even the great big ones, are we able to hold those up before the Lord and to give thanks to God and to offer those to Him as an intentional and specific gift nonetheless? Or maybe we see the ways that we're continuing this Lenten journey, that we're in the last few days, and yet the Lord is challenging us to give all the more. Maybe he's put it on our hearts and our souls to give just a little bit more this week. Maybe something that we haven't given up during the course of Lent. Or maybe it's something positive that we're called to do, that we see the ways that the Lord approaches in all humility, and he still gives, and he is filled with charity, and he wants to pour himself out very lovingly. Maybe he's calling us in a particular way to be those charitable people and those loving and kind and generous people as well. Maybe there's just one particular extra way we can do that this week, and we can make palms out of those things as well. Because my brothers and sisters, as we come through this week, we shouldn't come and leave unchanged and unaffected. Because our Lord is going to give us true and tremendous gifts and graces throughout this week. But we should also allow it to change our hearts and our souls. That as we give these gifts and as we hold palms before him, and as we cry out, maybe not with words, but with our actions, Hosanna to the Son of David, our lives will be changed and changed for the better. Because, my brothers and sisters, today we celebrate the fact that those people that day greeted Jesus as he entered into Jerusalem for the last time. And they were shouting aloud, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! May each and every one of us shout with praise and shout towards our Lord, recognizing who he is, that this is truly Jesus, the one who comes to save us. And may we be found ready to greet him and willing to greet him in every way, shouting and holding our palm branches.